Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, everyone. I'm CNN political director David Chalian. Welcome to Politically Sound. Today's episode will be a little different. We're kicking off our weekly coverage of Joe Biden's first 100 days, where we're going to look into the biggest policy challenges, goals, and pitfalls facing this new administration. This week, we're starting with the biggest challenge of them all, the COVID crisis. The virus is surging. We're 400,000 dead, expected to reach well over 600,000. We need to act. No matter how you look at it, we need to act. Getting the pandemic under control is clearly the new administration's number one priority. Joe Biden has other big-ticket items he's already working on, immigration, police reform, climate. But they all have to wait a bit until the administration gets the COVID crisis under control. So today, we're delighted to have our friend and the host of CNN's Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction podcast, Dr. Sanjay Gupta, with us. Sanjay's been educating people all over the world about this virus since the pandemic began. One thing to know about this place is they had a significant outbreak. It's important to remember that when the virus spreads, the more it spreads, the more mutations. It, you know, actually getting the shots uh, administered has been a problem. I mean, you know, we've been following the, the the downward trend overall in cases and hospitalizations, and hope that they they continue. I mean, that. And today we want to tap into that knowledge and ask him about the Biden administration's plans to confront this crisis and what more it could and should be doing. So it's time to tune out the noise and tune in to what's politically sound. Sanjay, I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So, Sanjay, in the short time since he's taken office, it's only been a week or so, President Biden has issued executive orders mandating mask wearing on federal property. He's creating a COVID response coordinator, upping production of PPE, reinstating travel restrictions, among a whole bunch of other stuff that he's doing through executive action, executive authority. He's also put out what he calls a comprehensive national strategy. So I know we're only a few days into this, but obviously COVID response and mismanagement was part of Donald Trump's downfall and largely why he lost the election. And obviously, the Biden team will need some more time to get ramped up here. But it's also, you know, an impatient country waiting for uh, something. And I just want to know what you've seen so far from them. How do you assess the Biden administration's approach? I think they're clearly hitting all the right notes. I mean, you can tell right away that the scientists are a strong part of the messaging around this because, you know, you you talk about testing, you talk about PPE, things that we've been talking about for a year, but increasingly became sidelined. So just to hear the president even talk about it, I think is remarkable in a good way. I think, you know, there's a couple of things that have really struck me. I've talked to so many people about this. One is that do you sort of get into this mode of under-promising and over-delivering or as the last administration, I think, pretty clearly did over-promise and under-deliver. 
how do you message and what sense does it make? Like, I get that you always politically want to look good, but we're in a, in a real emergency here. So the idea that 100 million doses in 100 days, that's not enough to really make a significant impact on herd immunity. So should we be more audacious and be okay if we don't quite hit those targets because that'll galvanize everybody around 200 million shots in 100 days or whatever the right number is. Right. I think the other thing is, I do think, Dave, it's a little unfair to say that the previous administration with regard to this issue, vaccination, really didn't do anything or, or if that's the impression people are left with. Because there have been things worth celebrating, including the fact that there are two authorized vaccines within a year. You know, there was a lot of problems after that. But, you know, did nothing or had no plan at all, I think may not be entirely fair. Now we have to see if all the things that President Biden is saying can actually come to fruition. Exactly. I mean, as you said, this is also all political expectation setting because they know they're going to be judged uh, real quickly by the American people. And, and so they're trying to set benchmarks, I guess, that they can achieve. But one of the big reasons a lot of people, I think, voted for Biden was because of a belief that maybe he could get the pandemic under control in a way that Donald Trump seemed unable to do. And yet Biden and this may be part of just getting the country properly prepared as well, has been really blunt about what he expects to see in the months to come. Give a listen. Let me be clear. Things are going to continue to get worse before they get better. The death toll, experts tell us, is likely to top 500,000 by the end of next month, and cases will continue to mount. We didn't get into this mess overnight. It's going to take months for us to turn things around. So, Sanjay, can two things be true at the same time? Can they be getting their arms around the virus, but that the numbers still get worse, that we can still see dramatic uptick in Americans dying from it? Yes, uh, both those things can be true at the same time. I use this analogy that I stole from a University of Washington professor early on in the pandemic, and that is to basically suggest that when you talk about a pandemic— it's kind of like a fast-moving cruise ship through an ocean. It starts slow. It's actually hard to get it really going initially. But once it starts to go and has speed and inertia, it's moving. And even if you slammed on the brakes right now, it would continue to move for a while. And that's sort of where we are in this pandemic. I mean, the numbers will likely continue to get worse, although I've been encouraged lately at uh, the fact that we may be starting to peak and maybe even coming off the peak, hopefully. Uh, you got to see trends for a few days to really be sure of that. But we're still seeing the surge from after the holidays. We still have a lot of people who think the worst is behind us and aren't being particularly careful or at least being less careful than they used to be. So it will get worse before it gets better. But then several things will start working to make it better, including the vaccines, including warmer weather, including all these other measures that President Biden's putting into place. The other part of it, I think, is that there is real concern about these variants that are starting to circulate around the world. So if they don't become a problem, then this could be the third and, and worst peak of this pandemic. But if they do, we could run into a situation where we have another peak because uh, these variants are very transmissible and can be quite problematic. I don't think we know enough yet, but that's the other part of what could make this worse in the weeks to come. What do we know about these variants now? You say we don't know enough yet. Do we know if some of these vaccines, Moderna, Pfizer, that are already out in the world and approved, do they respond as effectively to these variants? And do we know if these variants spread 
exactly the same way that we've been trying to combat the original version, right, with, with social distancing and masking? Does, does that arm us against these variants as well? Do we know that? Yeah, so let me answer that question first. And the, and the answer is a simple one. It's yes. I mean, the virus itself, the way that it moves, the way that it transmits this tiny little strand of genetic material that can't really jump that far can become aerosolized, doesn't like to be outside, you know, disperses very easily in the outside air and is pretty well contained by a good mask. Those things are still true. So the virus itself, don't think of it starting to transmit or move in a different way. So the same public health precautions work. With regard to the vaccines working, I find this really fascinating. Give me, give me one second to explain this because somebody explained it to me like this. If, if the virus were surface mapped like the surface of the earth, okay, you got all these points on the surface of the earth. What the vaccine makers decided to do was say, well, let's pick a portion of this earth that we're going to create antibodies to. It's like a portion of the surface where we're going to lay a blanket over, essentially. And the part they picked, if you had to use the analogy, would be Mount Everest. It was the tallest point. It was the spike of the earth. It's the part of the earth that, you know, you, you would puncture a human cell and get inside and, and start to infect it. That's essentially what they picked. And so they've created these antibodies that lie like a blanket over Mount Everest and kind of block it. And they do a good job. Where these mutations seem to be, including the South African mutation, is sort of within that Mount Everest region, sort of the ridges and valleys of other mountains. This blanket does seem to be protecting those areas also for the time being. If there are mutations that seem to fall outside the blanket or mutations that maybe occur in a thinner part of the blanket, that could be a problem, and that's what we got to keep watching out for. Right now, it seems that the vaccines work. It may not be a—it's not a binary thing. Either they work or they don't work. They may not be 95% effective, but they do seem to work against these other variants. We just got to keep making sure that's the case. Wow, that is such a helpful way to think about it. I really appreciate that metaphor. That, that sears an image in my mind of how this works. I appreciate it. Sanjay, don't go anywhere. We're going to be back, and I have a lot more for you in a moment. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited-edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We're back with CNN's Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, one of the things I know that is top of mind for so many Americans is about getting schools open again and getting children into in-school, in-person learning environments full-time again. Obviously, this is complicated, and I know the CDC just put out guidelines that say, well, it's a relatively safe place to be if indeed everyone's following all the guidelines, but that is not always the case. My sister, I will tell you, is a third-grade teacher in New Jersey. Mm. She's been having to 
to navigate this hybrid model with some students at home and some in class and rotating and different commitments to, you know, all the processes that need to be in place in the school. And so it's a really stressful experience for her. And it's not just as easy as like open up the schools again because you want to make sure all the testing is in place, all of that. So I guess fundamentally that question to you, can America open up its schools as they used to be before the virus was here? Are we ready for that? Is that safe? I think there are probably many places around the country that are ready for that. And I will preface this by saying, David, I was skeptical. In fact, you know, just pandemic affects everybody. It affected our lives. I kept my kids out of school. They were given the option at the beginning of the school year to go virtual or in person. And we said it, it fundamentally makes no sense. We pulled kids out of school when there were 5,000 people infected. Now there's 5 million people infected. This is back in the fall of last year. And we want to put kids back in school. What have we done to ensure safety? I think what the data has shown, this most recent report from the CDC was looking at 17 pretty well-funded but rural Wisconsin school districts over the fall term and found that their rate of transmission was really low, nearly 40% lower than the community. And that's where this idea that schools that are well-administered, they have masks, they have the ability at least to reasonably physically distance, although in this study, kids did eat next to each other even, good ventilation, things like that. If you have those things, then you could probably make the argument that schools could be a safe place. I think that what we've always said is that, just leaving the vaccine aside, could you have guaranteed adequate personal protective gear for uh the staff members, especially staff members who might be at risk, and even perhaps more importantly, could you have adequate testing? If you had rapid testing, I think that would go a long way towards getting schools open on top of the other things, ventilation, masks, hand washing, all that, all those resources. And it still just strikes me as absurd at this point in the pandemic that we don't have it. And those tests are very good at telling someone if they are contagious. So if you layer that in on top of all the other things with schools, I think we can and should have schools open. This is a provocative point, but I've looked at all this data. I was a skeptic in the beginning. I have followed contact tracing data out of South Korea. Here are several studies in the United States. I think it could be done. Well, wouldn't that, can I just extrapolate that out to the broader world than just schools, though? I mean, if we had that kind of rapid antigen testing that could tell asymptomatic people if they were contagious, we can unlock so much of our society, could we not? Absolutely. Absolutely, David. I mean, you know, big office buildings, you know, things like that. Keeping the the precautions in place of mask wearing, good ventilation, all that. But being able to have the confidence that A, I am not contagious, and B, the people that I'm going to, you know, be in this office building with school with whatever are also not contagious goes a long way. And we could have done this back in May. There was a emergency use authorized antigen test back in May. The vaccine story is going to be the dominant story. But this is the story where I think we fundamentally missed the ball. And we know, right, we know that the president believed more testing meant he would look worse. Former President Donald Trump, I mean, he said that time and time again. You said the vaccine is going to be the big story. I do wonder, we still see these discrepancies in communities, right? Coronavirus continues to kill Black and Latino Americans at a disproportionate rate. And we're learning that those minority groups are receiving the vaccine at lower rates Mm. than white people. So what more can be done from the Biden administration in terms of making good on the promises of the equity when it comes to vaccine distribution? 
it's a huge issue. It's the fundamental issue, I think, you know, from an equity standpoint, but just from a pragmatic science standpoint as well. As you point out, Black and Latina communities here are disproportionately affected. The burden of disease is higher in terms of hospitalizations and deaths. There's lots of different reasons for that, including poorer resources to begin with, but also more likely uh, to be in frontline jobs, higher exposures, all the things that, you know, would put you at higher risk. And on top of that, there's also increased vaccine hesitancy among certain demographics as well. So you combine that with lower access vaccine hesitancy, and you run into a situation where the people who are the most vulnerable are the least vaccinated, which makes no sense. Part of it, I think, will improve with time as as more and more people are out there getting inoculated. You do see hesitancy rates start to go down. Part of it is actually being able to get these vaccines where people are. That hasn't happened yet. It takes time. It's going to happen. I've been following some of these community vaccination centers, and equity is top of the list in terms of how they're deciding where these vaccination centers should be. Sanjay, in the latest CNN poll, we saw that two-thirds of Americans say that they will try to get vaccinated now that there are several vaccines out there that have been approved and being made available to the public. That's up from 51%, only a slim majority back in October. Is that a big enough number of Americans saying they're willing to get vaccinated to get to the place where we are actually defeating coronavirus? I do think so. And people may immediately say, well, the math doesn't make sense. You'd want to get to 75, 80% even for such a contagious virus. And again, this is to get people to the point where that percentage of people aren't going to get sick. They're not going to be getting sick or, or dying from this. Why do I say that that might be a high enough number? What is happening at the same time, David, is that we've had officially, you know, close to 10% of the country that's been infected. We are probably under-testing a lot, so maybe the number's closer to 30% of the country that's been infected and has some evidence of, of antibodies and, and protection because of their infection. So if you start adding those numbers up, you're going to get well over the herd immunity sort of number. So I do think that these numbers will be, will be adequate, but we have to make sure we're also vaccinating the right people. Vaccinating someone who's at very, very low likelihood of ever becoming sick or dying doesn't make sense. You have to vaccinate people who are the greatest risk first. And what will happen is you'll see almost a reverse flow. Going back to your original question, death rates will come down first, then hospitalizations will come down, and then case numbers will start to come down. So the exact opposite. Wow. Uh, Sanjay, my final question for you, I I literally have no idea how you found time to write a book in the midst of covering (laughs) the greatest public health story of our time. But you do have a book out. It's called Keep Sharp, and it's about mental health and cognitive decline, keeping your brain sharp. I know you did a three-part series on mental health for your podcast, Coronavirus Fact Versus Fiction. It's hard not to see how this pandemic is not taking a real mental health toll on people. And I just want to know, with light at the end of the tunnel, I just want to ask you the question I think so many people are asking, which is, do we have any sense when this is really going to be over and how we get through it so that we can prepare our state of mind for that? This is a topic, number one, in our own household, you know. I think one of the things that came about as I've been reporting on this is that as humans, we like countdowns and are not really good with count-ups. What I mean by that is, is to your question, if I had told you at the beginning of this in, in, you know, early 2020 that this is going to last 18 months 
we're going to be at this for 18 months. It, that would have been painful to hear, but at least you would have had some like, okay, well, it's 18 months. If it's sort of uncertain or the timeline just keeps getting shifted, that's what people are really uncomfortable with. So I think we, we are starting to hear timelines like that now, you know, around herd immunity, around Dr. Fauci and, and President Biden coming out and saying, you know, by the fall, by late summer, we're going to be back to some state of normalcy. And I think that, that helps. It helps with people's mental health because it's been, it's been really tough. I live with three teenage daughters and all, all joking aside, because people immediately think, well, it's got to be tough no matter what. But all joking aside, this has been hard on them. I mean, I never went through something like this. Now our kids are dealing with significant economic recession, the existential threat of climate change, involved in two wars their entire lives, and now this pandemic. So I do worry about that a bit, and I've done a lot of reporting on this, and I do think that the worry is warranted. But what I hear over and over again is that the mental resiliency returns. After the 1919 flu pandemic, we had the roaring 20s. There is an earnestness to get back to normal, and that hopefully addresses a lot. It's, I don't want to minimize this. There's uh, Going back to equity, there's some kids who have been just so adversely affected by this, and there's concern they may not be able to catch up. So we'll have to see how the next several months sort of play out. Sanjay, I don't think it's an overstatement when I say I think you have helped literally millions of people stay sane through this unbelievably trying time. And for that, I am personally and I am sure everyone listening is eternally grateful. So thank you for being here. I really appreciate you spending the time with us. Uh, You're very kind and that means a lot, especially hearing it from you, David. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode of Politically Sound. Thanks so much for listening. If you could, please take a few moments and give us a rating and a review. And if you are listening for the first time, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you get our latest episode each week delivered right to you. Politically Sound is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan and Mimi Mutesa. Haley Thomas is the senior producer. Raj Makija is the senior production manager. And Francisco Monroy is our engineer. David Toledo and Taylor Galgano are the team's production assistants. The executive producer of CNN Audio is Megan Marcus. We'll see you all next week. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.